0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at GraceCitySD.com. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to, be, to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep and if this comes to the governor's ears we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble so they took the money and did as they were directed and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted and Jesus came and said to them All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for uh, the promise of new life in you. We want to thank you that you did not stay in the tomb, Lord, but you rose from the dead. And that has given us hope. Lord, I just pray for Randall as he shares the message today. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft and open to listening from you. In your name name we pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Brooke. All right, well, good morning. Happy Easter. My name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. And if you're new today, probably some of you are like, that guy's the lead pastor? He looks young. I had to convince a guy last week. I'm 35 years old. I'm like, dude, here's my license right here. It was at my kid's school. He's like, hey, everybody come here and look at this guy. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's Easter Sunday. And uh, if you're new today, I just want to welcome you. You know, there are a lot of ways that you come to church. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend. Uh, for me, it was a friend that just said, hey, come with me to church. Um, so. Thank you for, for being here today. Uh, it really uh, is just a great day to be with you, and so we're thankful for making time to be here. Uh, the text that we're going through today, um, as we open up the Word, and we do this every week, we go through the Bible, is Matthew 28, 1 through 20. And it seems like a lot of text, um, and, and it is, but it's, it's really important. Uh, th- this is the game changer for Christianity. Right here is Matthew 28. And so the message that I want to share today as we gather on Easter is is this, transforming reality, that Matthew 28, because of the resurrection of Jesus, this is a transforming reality. Now, British theoretical physicist, the late Stephen Hawking, said back in 2011, there is no heaven, it's a fairy story. Now, what makes heaven more than a fairy story? What, what proves that there, it's that there was a resurrection. It's that Jesus rose from the dead that makes what we believe more than a fairy story. See, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. He hinges everything upon the resurrection of Jesus. He says, if that didn't happen, we've got no shot. It is a fairy story. But Paul believed that Jesus rose from the dead, resurrected that makes eternal life a transforming reality. See, Jesus, I believe, is alive. And when we believe this, this invites us into a new reality where eternal life is possible. And so, has this changed you? Has the resurrection transformed you see we live in a world that's that's filled with information don't we i mean google we can get anything wikipedia siri alexa you name it we can find it and google i mean there's 3.5 billion searches per day people are looking for information but how much of that information has transformed you has made you a different person See, whatever our background may be today, whether we grew up in church our whole lives or we have been invited today for the first time, the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus, if we're not careful, can become just another Google search. It can become just more information. And what will, what will happen is we'll miss the purpose behind the resurrection. See, it's meant to change us. And so my prayer today is that as you hear the Easter story, the resurrection story, that it today hits you maybe for the first time in a way that changes you from the inside out. And so we're going to jump into this study of the historical resurrection of Jesus. And and I want to point out two critical questions that we need to ask. And so the first one is this Is it true? Did he really raise from the dead? Number two, if it's true, what does it mean for you and me? And so let's look at that first question Is it true? Well, Thomas Arnold, professor of modern history at Oxford, said this. He says, no one fact in the history of mankind is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Christ died and rose from the dead. Gary Habermas, a noted resurrection expert, states that about 75% of critical scholars, these are skeptic and non-skeptic, Accept the historicity of the empty tomb. They believe that this is a historical event that happened. Even atheist scholar Gerd Ludemann says this. He says, It is historically certain that Peter and the other disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. Atheist scholar. Is it true? He says, Historically, they had this something happened to them. And so, if the resurrection is true, as many scholars believe, the second question, what does that mean for you and me? And so our text today is Matthew 28, 1 through 20. And just to give some background here, as we set the stage, uh, William Barclay says this about Matthew 28. He says, Here we have Matthew's story of the empty tomb. There is something peculiarly fitting in that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary should be the first to receive the news of the risen Lord and to encounter him. They had been there at the cross. They had been there when he was laid in the tomb. And now they were receiving love's reward. They were the first to know the joy of the resurrection. See, this text, the resurrection of Jesus, is all about transformation. For these women, as they come to the empty tomb, they felt the heaviness and weight of death, yet it is transformed into life. They go from hopelessness to joy. And so... Again, how does the resurrection of Jesus transform us, you and me? Well, it transforms us in two ways. The first is this, it challenges our skepticism. It challenges our skepticism. And number two, it offers a new reality. And so those are the two points we're gonna work through this text. Together, and we're going to start with the first point. It challenges our skepticism. Here's the thing we live in a world that is skeptical about everything. And I would say, rightly so. There's a lot of reasons to be skeptical because there's a lot of false information out there. But the Bible is written in a way that is meant to challenge our skepticism, for us to really dive in deep and say, is this true? See, the biblical account doesn't read like a legend or a fairy tale, but it gives places, names, times. And also, this is, this is really important. We'll see this in the text, raw, many times embarrassing facts with no spin. In many ways, if this were something that a person were trying to put together, they added too many details that would be like, That's weird. See, it challenges our skepticism. And so let me share just a couple ways scholars validate the Bible and the biblical text. One of the ways is that they look at external evidence. See, sometimes people say, well, you're just looking at the Bible. You're just looking at that for evidence. But there is external evidence outside of the Bible that's written by non-Christian authors, and they validate Things like, was Jesus just a mythical person? No. They wrote about him within history, and he's a real person. One of those people is Josephus, who is a first century uh, Jewish historian. And here's what he says. He says, now there was about this time a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Now, this is a Jewish historian, not a Christian, writing about Jesus. We see others that were external evidences that Jesus was a real person that historically, he said, rose from the dead. You see it in Pliny the Younger. Tacitus is just to name a couple more. But this is external evidence that proves that Jesus was a historical person. Next, scholars look at the internal evidence. So let's look at the evidence from the Bible from this text in Matthew 28. So what are some of the internal evidences of the resurrection in this text? Well, look at verse one. It says this, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, so again, times and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, one of the first evidences, and this one's gonna be hard for us to understand because culturally we're different than the time that Jesus lived, but this account flies in the face of cultural norms because women were the first ones to experience the resurrection. They were the first ones to experience the resurrection. See, Back then, the Talmud said this. It says, any evidence which a woman gives is not valid to offer. That's the culture they lived in. But yet, the way that God chose the story to be, the way that we see in the resurrection account is that women were the first to experience the good news. See, the historical account goes against the popular beliefs of the day. Why? Because this is how it happened. See, it's a report. It's not somebody saying, well, here's what I think it should look like, but it's the report of what actually happened, and it didn't fit the mold of the society. And here's the beautiful part of it all. God chose it to be that way. God chose it to be told that way. See, these women journeyed with Jesus from the cross to the tomb and now get to experience resurrection. And they get to tell the world first. And it goes against the cultural norms of the day. Another evidence is is found in verse 15. So before this, it says that the the leaders uh, made up a story and they said, well, tell them that the disciples stole the body while we were asleep. And so in verse 15, it says, so they, the soldiers, took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, one of the strongest facts that the resurrection is true is that there were eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that during this time, they were still alive. Here's the thing. During that time, there were an oral people, oral tradition. And so they would speak and, and share, but it wasn't like telephone, like, hey, here's what happened. And so it just kind of changes over time. But here's what, if there was a false story being told, they would have shot it down quickly. And here's the thing, they could go back then and validate, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did you see him? What happened? I mean, they knew during that time that he was crucified. See, these are early writings from people like Matthew who spent time with Jesus. And now they're writing about how he's risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says that there were 500 witnesses to Jesus being alive. This only begs for people who are skeptical to say, hey, did it really happen? Go ask him. Go go let people tell you. Like, these people saw him alive. One time skeptic, C.S. Lewis observed that myths... Don't incorporate this level of detail. He says historical narratives do. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I have been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this. Of this text are only two possible views. Either this is reportage, Or else some unknown writer in the second century without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern, novelistic, realistic narrative. If it is untrue, it must be narrative of that kind. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. The intention of the gospel writers were to help us see that Jesus really died, he really rose and he appeared to his disciples this is all meant to challenge our skepticism and so another point is look at verse 17 it says when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted now there's a couple parts to this the first one is this that jesus is being worshipped by those who betrayed him. He's being worshipped. And and here's the thing. They lived in a culture where they don't worship people. They knew that Jesus was more than just a man. They were worshipping him as God. You see, and so Jesus is unique. He's different. But the interesting part that it includes is this detail of some doubted some doubted now now if you were writing and, and wanting somebody to believe in the resurrection would you say that the the closest disciples to Jesus well yeah they saw him they worshiped but some of them doubted that it really happened see in many ways this is an embarrassingly honest detail But it's also one of the best evidences that the resurrection is true. That even his closest disciples, really it was hard for them to believe that he was actually alive because they just saw him die. Those who scattered from Jesus days earlier would eventually die preaching the gospel. See, we have to ask the question, how did these cowards eventually become courageous? so much so that they would say, I will give my life for this. See, it's causing us to lean in and say, did this really happen? Peter, within history, historically was was crucified. We see Andrew, James, the disciple, beheaded. Thomas martyred Bartholomew. Matthew, the guy who wrote this. Matthias, Jude, all of them. Cowards running for their lives. Now courageously running to the world to go share that Jesus is alive. See, they're preaching a resurrected Jesus. And in many ways, it's, scholars believe it's because they, they saw something that changed them. See, here's what doesn't change a coward. Going to a tomb and stealing a body. See, they didn't even have the courage to do that. They weren't even thinking about that. It wasn't even on their radar. Yet, something changed them. They saw something that made them give their own lives. So my question today is, you know, if you're skeptical, what are your doubts? And I, and I want you to see that Jesus' disciples who walked with him for three years were invested in by him. They had doubts too. They had to work through some things to believe. But the resurrection challenged their skepticism and they eventually became Courageous. But it took time. And here's the amazing thing about God. It's that God offers grace. He offers grace. He meets us right where we're at. D.A. Carson says this. He says, Jesus' resurrection did not instantly transform men of little faith and faltering understanding into spiritual giants. And so today, if you feel like, man, I've got a lot of questions and I don't know where to start, I would point you to lean into Jesus. He meets the skeptical and he helps us. The second point is this, it offers a new reality. It offers a new reality. Now, at the end of Matthew 27, the silence in this text is meant to point us to the heavy reality of death. I mean, it's heavy. And those that killed Jesus took every precaution to make sure that there was no re- resurrection. See, they they heard stories and possibilities, and they said, we're gonna take every precaution to make sure that Jesus doesn't rise from the... We can't let something like that get out. Even the possibility. And so the reality was a heavy reality. See, at the end of Matthew 27, here's the scene. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, And also as a disciple of Jesus, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. This is a funeral. That's what it is. That's the heaviness that is felt at the end of Matthew 27. They were not expecting a resurrection. They were grieving the loss of a friend. But then comes this new, unexpected reality. Matthew 28, six through seven says this. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see. See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. See, this is ushering in the possibility that resurrection is true. It's not the end. And because of resurrection being true, it offers us two things. The first one is this, a new hope. See, the resurrection is all about hope. I want you to think about this for a minute. What, what do you think the disciples thought when they saw Jesus on the cross? Hopelessness. Their best friend. All of the things that they thought about what it meant to follow him, and now they see him on the cross. They were done. They had to have thought, I don't see how God can bring anything good out of this as they looked at the cross. But because of the resurrection, it gave hope that God can take even the worst of situations, the worst of circumstances. I mean, look at the cross, sitting at the foot of the cross and transform it into something filled with hope. See, what this is, is the cross and resurrection principle. As a Christian, you'll see it a lot. You'll see moments of, in life where you feel like it's hopeless. But then in some way, God breaks through and does something better than you could have ever expected. See, about this, Don Carson says, Jesus, once humiliated and suffering, is now given universal authority. I mean verse 20, Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." And now he's saying that that's possible in your life. It's possible in my life. So how does this apply? Well, let me ask this. Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever lost something dear to you? Have you ever thought this is the end? Have you ever looked at a situation and believed there is, there is nothing good that can come out of this? Right? Marriage, relationship, job, child, whatever it might be. Right? Yet because of Jesus... There's always hope. And the second part is we take this this new reality is that there's, there's the possibility of a happy ending. We all like happy endings, right? Verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, I will be with you to the end. To the end of the age. There's a reality that we don't want to face. That we all have an end. Death comes for us all. See, our struggle is much like the scene in the 2001 film Donnie Darko where Jake Gyllenhaal, his character, was asked, do you feel alone right now? And here's his response. He says, I mean, I I like to believe I'm not, but I just, I've just never seen any proof so i just don't debate it anymore i could spend my whole life debating it over and over again weighing the pros and cons and in the end i would still i still wouldn't have any proof so i just i just don't debate it anymore it's absurd the search for god is absurd it is if everyone dies alone i don't want to be alone When Jesus says he'll be with us to the end, it's the promise that we'll never die alone. See, it's that God searched for us. Jesus addresses our greatest fear and says, he'll be there. Here's the good news. In Christ, we don't die alone. Really, yeah offers us a happy ending and tells us that death is not the end, that there is another life, a better ending, a a resurrection. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Timothy Keller shares this story about a pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse. Um, He was a pastor in Philadelphia for many years. He lost his wife when his daughter was still a child, And Dr. Barnhouse was trying to help his little girl and himself process the loss of his wife and her mother. Once when they were driving a huge uh, moving van past them, as it passed, the shadow of the truck swept over the car. Uh, The minister, the father, had a thought. He said something like this, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? His daughter replied, by the shadow, of course. That can't hurt us at all. Dr. Barnhouse replied, right. If the truck doesn't hit you, but only its shadow, then you are fine. Well, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She's actually alive, more alive than we are. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck of death hit Jesus. Because death crushed Jesus and we believe in him, now the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is but my entrance into glory, new reality, resurrection. Here's the unique perspective I have as a pastor. You see, I I, I sit with families when they lose loved ones. I've presided over funerals, over family and friends and the new reality that resurrection is possible is the only hope that I can hold on to when facing the heaviness of death and so just some takeaways number one do you see your need for the resurrection you see what's What's dead in your life? What's the thing that we say, man, that that I, I need a savior. I need a hope beyond this life. See, when we're young, we don't really think about the end. But the older I get, I see that I need the resurrection. Because here's the thing I see in my life, I see my sin, I see my brokenness, I see the brokenness around me, I see lostness, and i felt it. And I just wanna encourage you, Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. Here's the thing about the cross, do you see God in his arms open wide for you? His arms are stretched out on the cross and he's offering love and grace. Love and grace. You see, that's meeting us right where we are. And so do you see your need for the resurrection? Number two, have you personally received the resurrection for yourself? For yourself. See, this is the most important question I can ask you today. There are different reasons of why we are here today. Whatever that reason may be, this is the most important thing I can ask you. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he was crucified for your sin and died but rose again and offers you new life? See, I need to be clear. This, This is a personal decision. In many ways, it affects us corporately, but it is personal. This is not something that someone else can do for you. See, again, I have three kids, and, and I, if I could make the decision for them, I would. I would say, okay, you're going to be Christians the rest of your life. But that's a decision that they need to make. been fascinated recently with uh, Mr. Rogers and uh, he did a TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for a long time, was an ordained uh, Presbyterian minister and he felt his calling was to children and so he did this TV program and it impacted a lot of people and uh, one of the people that he invited on was uh, uh, an African-American man. Named Francois Clemens, and uh, he said, "I want you to be a police officer on my my show." And so he became uh, Officer Clemens on his show. And uh, he was on the show for years. And he tells us a story when he saw uh, Mr. Rogers, Fred, and he was finishing out the show, saying what he'd always say. He says, "You know." you made today special by you being you. And he ends the program and and his friend Francois looks at him and said, Fred, were you talking to me? And Fred Rogers said, Francois, I've been talking to you for years, but today you heard me. That day, he said it became personal. Has the resurrection of Jesus become personal for you? You might have heard it for years, but do you hear it today? That's what Easter is about. This is the simple gospel. Why did Jesus come, die, and resurrect? John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is inviting you to be saved through him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you entered in through Jesus? See, because what it is, it's the great exchange. Theologians for years are just baffled by this idea. The great exchange that God, through Jesus, would say, let's trade. My perfect life for your sinful life. That's what he says to us. So he wants to take my sinful life and trade me and I get his that's what it means to be a Christian it's not because we've cleaned up our lives and made our lives better it's because Jesus traded places with sinful people and that's why he had to die on the cross the wrath of God fully poured out on the son of God so have you personally received it? pray that you let it transform you today let's pray jesus we thank you for the great gift that you've given us your very self and so lord i pray that today it's not just another easter sunday but that today you work in a way where you transform us from the inside out whether we know you today and the story has gotten old to us, I pray that it's just refreshed and renewed in our minds and our hearts. We're encouraged. I pray today that it's the first, if it's the first time connecting with somebody, that that's you, Lord, speaking to our hearts, tugging on our hearts, and that we respond to you knowing that you want to change our lives. So we just thank you for it all. We pray this in Jesus' name,
0: amen.